from the Gospel of Matthew. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Greetings, friends. Welcome back to the broadcast. I'm Sean. Website, scriptureandprophecy.com. That's where you go to find the archives. That's where you go to support this mission of truth. Today, we are ready to resume our study in the Acts of the Apostles, and we're ready for chapter 9, which is a very famous story. Uh, it's about 43 verses or so. If I'm, yes, about 43 verses, and it's dealing with the conversion of of Saul. So he's on the road to Damascus. He's on a mission. He's zealous for the things of God. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He's highly educated in the religious system. He knows the scriptures. He's probably got every piece of the Tanakh memorized. And he believes that Christianity is a form of apostasy. It's heresy. It's it's a threat to the faith, but he's about to find out by a direct word and vision from Christ that he's been on the wrong path, and he's going to become the greatest warrior for the faith, especially for the Gentiles. So with that backdrop... Let's take a look. We're reading chapter 9 this morning. Open up your hearts, open up your minds, and let's see what the Word of God has to say. Acts chapter 9. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Please note, this phrase, the way, it is uh, belonging to the way. Uh, it's a phrase that's actually used uh, several times in the book of Acts. It's a description of Christianity, and it's derived from Jesus' description of himself so it appears in Acts 19, Acts 22, Acts 24, 14. And I'm reading some commentary out of this Bible here. This is an appropriate title because Christianity is the way of God. The way into the holy place and the way of truth. So Saul gets letters of approval from the high priest. He's going to Damascus. He's going to the synagogues. And if he finds any of them who are a member or a follower of the way, they're going to get arrested and be brought back to Jerusalem. That's his game plan. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. 
and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were opened, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarshish named Saul. For he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call in your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. All right, please note a couple of things. Before we get to the he must suffer for my name's sake part, um, Verse 15, it says, But the Lord said to him, talking to Ananias, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Uh, that could also be translated as a vessel of election. Now, Paul, probably more than anyone, any of the disciples, any of the New Testament writers, speaks about election, about the sovereignty of God, probably more than anyone. And you can kind of understand why. Because he himself is a perfect example of it. He's doing one thing, he has one thing in mind, he has these plans, but God interrupts it and says, no, you're going to do this. And so Paul completely understands, because it's his experience in a really profound way, that God is the one who's actually in control, not Saul, right? He knows this in a very real and personal way, which is why... Uh, he uses that exact same word that's translated as chosen or or election uh, multiple times in his writings. He'll use it in Romans a couple of times. He uses it in Colossians. He uses it in Titus because he knows he knows directly how that feels. And here's his mission. <laughs> it's told to Ananias. He is my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles and before the kings. And not only that, but I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Let me read a short little paragraph from Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon's uh, commentary, just on that little section right there. Here's what he had to say. Ananias said to the Lord, I have heard many of this man, how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. 
And now the Lord says to Ananias in response to that, I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. As he had made others suffer for Christ's namesake, he must himself suffer in the same way. Yet in this he was greatly favored, for it is one of the highest honors that the Lord Jesus Christ can put upon his chosen ones, that they should be called to suffer for his namesake. I tell you, that mindset is not a mindset uh, that is commonly held within Christianity today. Um, and I even even myself, I'm guilty of the of that feeling. Of it seems like if we're suffering for the cause of Christ, that we it's almost like we are out of favor with God. But that's not what the scriptures really teach. And Jesus even says, I mean, over and over, he talks about the cost of following him and persecution. I mean, there's this, there's just so much conversation about that mindset, about that idea, uh, about being blessed for suffering for the cause of Christ. Second uh, Timothy, so Saul is writing this. He says, if we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. So this was a mindset that was very common in the early church, understood in the early church, and many men and women gave their lives so that you could have the blessings that you have today. You wouldn't have the Bible in English and it's amazing availability to in all languages all over the earth if it wasn't for a few people who were willing to suffer for the name of Christ and for the sake of the kingdom of God. All right, let's move on with the story. Let's go back to verse 15. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument, a vessel of election of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight. And he got up, and he was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days he was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. All those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on his name? And who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priest? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. When many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him 
in a large basket. When he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. And he was talking and arguing with the Hellenistic Jews, but they were attempting to put him to death. But when the brethren learned of it, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him away to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord. In the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Now, as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. There he found a, main, found a man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years, for he was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. And immediately he got up, and all who lived in Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now in Joppa there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at the time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in the upper room. Since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, Do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and he went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room, and all the windows stood beside him. We, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and, and, sh and showing all the tunics and garments that Darkus used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And she gave her, and he gave her his hands and raised her up. And calling the saints, saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. And that, my friends, is the end of chapter 9. You know, interestingly enough, Tabitha here dies. And... The, the people around her haven't given up yet. Which is a bizarre concept, right? Like, she's clearly dead. But they're like, well, we've heard that Peter's like 20 miles down the road. They send two people, please come. They already believe that he can raise her from the dead. Which is pretty amazing. Pretty incredible. I mean, some of these miracles that Peter does. You know, Jesus told the disciples, you know, that you would do greater miracles than what you're seeing me do. And so they went and they get Peter and he raises her back from the dead. Interestingly enough, uh, Tabitha, it gives her two names, right? Tabitha, Dorcas, 
Both names mean gazelle. <laughs> I don't know what value that has, uh, but for whatever reason, the Bible wants you to know that she has both of those names. Very interesting. Very interesting. Anyway, that is the end of our study for this morning. Next week, we'll get to Cornelius's vision, Peter at Caesarea. Uh, so, kind of really follows Peter for the next couple of chapters, um, and some of the some of the things that he's doing, and some of the things that he's being shown about the church. And there's a there's just a lot left in our study when it comes to the book of Acts. All right, I don't want to ramble. Peace and grace be with all of you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting it, and thank you for your prayers. Peace and grace be with you all, and until next time, God bless.